Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. I've been talking to a ton of operators recently, and one of the big issues people are facing right now is a labor shortage in the restaurant industry. A lot of people during COVID left the industry completely when they lost their jobs temporarily. Um, and so when you're in a tight labor market, then what you have to do is A, you got to work harder to find those people, but B, you have to invest in systems that make people more efficient, allow them to do more, and also systems that are going to help get people productive quicker once you do find them, because we have to do more with less and we have to do it faster. The Ops Analytica operations management platform can guide employees through the steps that they have to do to do their jobs every day. We can make them productive faster. We can hold them accountable uh, to doing what they're supposed to do. And we can get them on the floor faster than spending a ton of time and money trying to get them to memorize what to do. We can just guide them through what they need to do. So check us out, opsanalytica.com and get a demo. You will not regret it. What up, Order Up podcast show listeners? It's Tommy and I'm back again. Today we have uh, two guys to interview on the show. We have Trevor Morones and Chef RL. How are you guys doing today? What's what's shaking? What's shaking? What's going on? How are you today, Tommy? I'm living the dream, man. And I know I pronounced your name wrong after you just said it, Trevor. So I apologize. <laughs> No need to apologize. It's okay. Uh, like I was saying at a previous conversation, you can also call me Wada. They still do in New York City, and I when it when I hear it, I turn around. Yes, how can I help you? <laughs> but it's Moronis, awesome. and uh, I think I've heard it all from Macaroni to Moron. Like if you want to spell it, Moron E S. There you go. You can't miss yeah. it. Yeah. You know what it is? As I think it's very close to uh, one of the words they use in the Book of Mormon play. So uh, I think that's where I'm struggling uh, to get it correct, even though, you know, it's, I'm betraying my Puerto Rican heritage by not pronouncing your Spanish name correctly. But what are we going to do? Um, okay, guys, welcome to the show. Uh, uh, Trevor and Chef work together, by the way. Uh, we will find that out here in a second. That's why they're both on the show today. And um, let's just get to the first question because I'm dying to know about where you guys work today and how you got there. So question number one is explain what you do today and then take us through your career progression from your first job in the industry. And I'm gonna go to Trevor first and then he'll pass it to the chef. How does that sound? Sounds great. Let's get it. <laughs> oh, thank you very much, Tommy. Appreciate you having us. It's a pleasure to be here. I am currently standing in Control Point headquarters in Las Vegas. Um, and I'll try not to go too far, but let me give you a, dis a disclaimer right now, a disclosure, if you will. When this device kicks on, it's like a metal detector. It's on, yes. It's functioning, yes. Does it work? No. Why? I don't know. It, we can go into pharmaceuticals later, but if you hear me clicking or ticking, it's me having a seizure. You have nothing to be concerned with. I'll tell you more about it later, but uh, it doesn't prevent me from how I got here. So now I'll give you a little bit of where I started. Well, I culinary. Really hope, I, I really hope you have a, 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 an episode, Trevor, because that's going to make a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Turn your camera on. That way we can handle it. I just wait and I go, I start laughing or I'll laugh at him. And he goes, What? I was like, Let me tell you. And then uh, we go through it and um, that's that. He handles it very well. So, full disclosure, Trevor can't have seizures and he has a little device that like kicks on and brings him back uh, out of the seizure very quickly. And that's what he was referring to. So, just for those of you uh, that were like, what the heck are these dudes talking about? Uh, Like they have some sort of inside joke going on here. Okay, go back to Trevor. Go, tell us how you got here. All right. So, how, how did I get here? Well, in the culinary world, I started washing dishes. My first chef, who I still talk to to this day, said, I need somebody to be my right-hand man. And I immediately made a promise to myself that I was going to become that person. And four years later, he said, I got nothing left for you. If you don't leave, I'm going to fire you. <laughs> go. Get lost in Europe. Go do other things. So I went to New York City. New York City is so competitive. I knew that I had to set myself apart. Because he told me, you should always be 10 steps ahead. And if you can bring enough skill forward that you could fill the positions for two people, you're a bigger asset. So go do whatever you got to do. And I thought about, well, what do I want? I'm like, I'm not really a baker. I mean, I enjoy bread now that I can't have any, especially. And um, well, outside of culinary school, I was working anything I could. So full-time and then culinary school full-time, not the best idea, but I was definitely burning the candle at both ends early on. So I got into meat. From meat, I went to work with Italy Flatiron District, helped open that uh, butcher counter originally. And then because I wrote a sanitation standard operating procedure for the bandsaw and some other equipment downstairs, I, somebody found it and they said, who wrote this? And I said, I did, sir. And he said, you're coming to work for me. And I was flattered. I didn't know what I was signing up for, but I was put into the trenches and really taught the ins and out of manufacturing, wholesale meat, distributors, international compliance. But I definitely learned the hard way and uh, found the opportunity to take what people were calling and asking me to do on food safety to do it more often. So fast forward a little bit after opening Echo and Rig and then going to help the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas for a bit, I decided to put everything I have done into Control Point and built this food safety firm to be the education and training operation that people could rely on. If they want results, we're going to give them results. You know, so what our intention is to for people to take ownership and we elevate their performance. And uh, th- there's a lot to fill in the, in that area, but I'm open for questions and really want to put Chef here because in that journey, I was leaving um, the operation in North Bergen and I was going to get back into kitchens and Chef and I were doing an event together in Martha's Vineyard. So I think he remembers me as swine because we were actually catering mm-hmm. to the people that were with Francois Vecchio learning how to harvest, well, first uh, raise beautiful animals. So beautiful life and then a very respectful death and then excellent butchers and then excellent cooks. It was fantastic. Chef and I didn't know each other. So I got a war story from that that I'll tell you a little bit later, Chef. But uh, the floor is yours, my man. Well, hello. Um, My name is Richard Luther King. 
I go by Chef R.L. King when it uh, pertains to anything uh, food or safety or kitchens or restaurants. Um, my friends call me Ricky King. Uh, no, they call me Ricky. Um, and let's see, from the start, uh, I was born into the business. My grandparents buying a fried chicken shack down in Albany, Georgia, pronounced Albany. My dad took it over in 1980. One of his nickname on the street was Chicken Man, which I also have tattooed on my chest, called Chicken Man Jr. Um, he was running numbers for Dixie Mafia and a uh, pool hustler while he was running my grandparents' fried chicken shack. So uh, his nickname on the street was Chicken Man, and you will see me and many people wear the hat, the hat that says Chicken Man across the top of it. Um, so the age of five on, that was my playground when I'd go to see him during summers and long vacations from school because of uh, the, the divorce. And there's a little uh, tidbit. Both my parents have been married seven times, and they married the same person twice. So kind of gives you a... A little background check. That's sure. Awesome. Um, That's so, awesome. Okay, we're going to get into that later. Keep going. Yeah, so five on. Then I started working there during long vacations when I was 12. Um, so I could uh, buy my own school clothes. And then, uh, so it, restaurant business is all I've ever done my whole life. There has not been another job, which that's a lot of jobs entailed into one category. But from there, the summers, then I started working while I was in high school in Buford, South Carolina. That's where I was uh, raised. I uh, did the fry shacks and all the, uh, you know, what you would think of a Buford, South Carolina restaurant. All of them the same, all of them serving the same stuff. I thought I was a rock star until I got to Charleston, South Carolina. In between all that, I was trying to go to culinary school. Uh, I tried three times. School wasn't for me in the sense I was learning more from my mentor, Frank Lee, uh, chef, frankly, at Slightly North Abroad. That's where I cut my teeth with some of the greatest uh, young men and women that he turned into professional young men and women. He would always say, I take the wayward boys and troubled girls and turn them, turn them into professional, responsible young men and women. I worked for him for 10 years, as a, starting as a dish, then to back saute, then to AM sous chef. Uh, then I was the exec chef of his sister restaurant called Old Village Post House in, the, in Mount Pleasant, uh, which that restaurant drove me completely insane. Broke up with my girlfriend, moved across the street, lived in the attic of the restaurants, and uh, tried to make it happen until I was like, I got to go. Um, made my way to DC, Washington, D.C. I was the sous chef at Vidalia, where we, got, we were garnered to with the James Beard Award during my tenure. Moved on to also some of the best, that was the best team I've ever worked with. We were all just killers. It was a 135 degree kitchen with 25 foot flat tops, French flat tops. Um, we'd kill it so much to where you drank water, puke in a bucket and get back to cooking. Um, team of demons, that's for sure. After that, moved on to sous chef as uh, at Eric Repair's restaurant, West End Bistro. Uh, it was in the Ritz Carlton. Uh, we got all the good accolades there. Best new restaurant, best this, best that. But me and the other two chefs, we realized, and they realized that we weren't cut for the hotel living, uh, the hotel life, the hotel working. So they ended up calling us in newspapers the bad boys of D.C. Um and from there, I was also doing farmer's markets um, and also doing consulting on restaurants. After that, I was in D.C. for three years. And I moved to 
New York City. I was the took on the sous chef job at Iobuco on Bond Street, the original one. From there, I moved on. There, that's where I learned. That's where I refined my. Uh, that was my finishing school with Ignacio Maitis. That boy can cook, and he was the one that's the no holds barred. Do what you want. Flavors, clean, simple, farmer's market, everything. And from there, I became the exec chef of 100 Acres. Took 100 Acres from from the uh, from the depths, from the dirt. It was about to close. They didn't tell me that when they hired me. Uh, and then got them up to a 13% um, uh, profit. And then um, they asked me to also be, to helm their sister restaurant. So I was the exec chef as... Uh, at 100 acres and also five points. From there, I moved on to hmm, the McKittrick Hotel, uh, the home of Sleep No More, which was an interactive, was an interactive play um, of 100,000 square feet where you wear Venetian masks and you follow 14 consecutive acts throughout what is it, uh, throughout the warehouse with a loose interpretation on um, Macbeth in the 50s. That was the best chef experience of, of my life building four restaurants in that space of the hundred thousand square feet. One was called Gallo green, which is a rooftop restaurant. The other was uh, the Heath. And then we flipped those restaurants every season because it was the theater and the theater made $27 million a year. So the food was supposed to be the restaurants were supposed to be just an amenity so they could perform plays shows but then we ended up getting a lot of great press, New York Times, on the actual restaurants. Also, I put in a 20-tower aeroponic farm on the back roof, which we grew our own vegetables for the, um, the two restaurants. And then while doing that, that was the best experience because there was no hold bar. You could do – there was not really a budget, but being a chef, it's your responsibility. But the things that we were – doing the different dinners that we were doing for 200 to 1600 people all had themes because you're working with 17 different teams in that in the theater. So you really are just a cog in the wheel in that giant machine because now you're working with, um, now you're working with design. Now you're working with uh, the, uh, the uh, what am I looking for here? The each team. So you're the stage directors, uh, the stage setup. So, we would all sit and have, they would have these ideas. They'd give me all this information and then I would have to go research it and break it down. You know, it took me six to eight weeks to come up with a menu. Uh, an example was the, the last supper. So I broke down the last supper, watched a bunch of movies and uh, did a lot of reading on that. And then came up with a menu that was uh, based on what they were eating at the last supper or what was served in that, Time for a time that that era, but done with a modern take and my style of cooking on it. So that those those things it was like you were cooking in so many different genres. You're doing in so many different techniques, so many different style aspects, and what you're serving it on to match those dinners, to match those steamed dinners, really brought out the creativity in any chef would want to have that. To, um, to be able to do that. So I didn't want to get in the theater. I told them no. Uh, my buddy said, go in there and ask for something astronomical, money-wise. I did. And they said yes. And let me tell you about walking out of that place with the biggest grin you ever seen. 
I mean, jumping <laughs> up and jumping up and down whenever I got outside. I was like, you're never. Can we cuss on this? Uh, can we, can I can't really dump, but you can. Okay. <laughs> well, the the f word is uh, every other word out of my mouth usually. So um, but so. <laughs> And I called everybody. I was like, you're not going to believe it. But it ended up being a huge job and also um, a life experience for sure. During that same time, uh, we I opened uh, a sandwich company called Untamed Sandwiches in New York City. We started with one, ended up with four sustainably raised braised meat sandwiches on the best bread in the city. So you take something that we took something that takes five days to make to get it to the plate. But then we've uh, figured it to where we could get a sandwich out in a minute and a half with technique and then the proper tools. So getting up to four, we got best sandwich uh, shop New York City, but they got four years running in New York, which is huge because there's thirty thousand was thirty thousand restaurants. Um, moved on from the McKittrick, ended up selling my shares. Unfortunately, a year later, Untamed uh, went bankrupt, and then. I was then I was also, then I moved to the Red Rooster. I was the exec chef there under Marcus Samuelson, and I, I did that for a friend who is now my business partner because he needed to open up other places for Marcus Samuelson around the world. Uh, Short lived. That's exactly what I was supposed to do. And then we also opened up a restaurant which is still open called Beachstro in the South Bronx, B-E-A-T-S-T-R-O. It's the only hip-hop restaurant in the country. And we based it because hip-hop was originated in the Bronx by DJ Cool Herc from August 11th, 1973. So all those cats still come in. It is a cool, open kitchen, um, speakeasy style, because you walk through a record shop to get into the restaurant, which also has our fried chicken on it, which we've also, we got Big Gourmand last year which is unheard of in the Bronx. And we closed down, of course, for the pandemic during the winter. We will be reopening in the spring. May 1st, I believe, we're reopening. And we formed, my, my partner and I, besides Trevor and I, formed a consulting company called Donkey Proof International, which we do restaurant hospitality consulting from revamps to struggling to full concepts. That's been going, we've been running that for, since 2017. Obviously, the pandemic has slowed that quite a bit. Trevor and I joined forces in June. He mentioned where we met. And in June, we joined forces. I joined on the control point as the culinary director. And now the sky is only the ceiling. I moved to Charleston, South Carolina to work on projects and concepts. Of course, pandemic, we had meetings set up to do some concepts, some fried chicken concepts. My partner flew down, and the day he did, they shut down Charleston. So now it's just a hustle is a hustle for now. Ah, totally. Wow. Well, that was a bio, Chef. Good for you. So real Hopefully quick, that wasn't too long. That, 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 that was really the short version, too. Well, I'm going to cut half of it, so don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't edit this show. Come on, man. Uh, that would be way too much work. Uh, as you can, as you can tell, I've said that uh, you, it's pretty uh, well versed because I've had to, I've had to say that more than a couple times. Oh, I'm sure. So, real quick, let's talk control point because that's where you guys intersect. But we're we're going to go all over the place in this thing. But talk about control point. Like, what do you do? Um, 
and and what do you offer? I mean, I know Trevor touched on it a little, but let's like let's dive a little bit deeper on that because I think it's important. Right on. Well, it it goes back to a little bit of the history for a moment, but I'm getting asked, can you do this? Can you take our product to market? Can you help us write HACCP? Can you put this SOP together? Can you handle this with the department? We're tired of this. We don't like it. We don't want it. And for the longest time, we always said yes, but there was never a brand behind it. And I wanted Control Point to be the team, the fleet of people. This is our, from RL, but the fleet of people that can go in and execute when the client has something that they need to hit or they're wanting to build, we'll do it. If it's something they need to fix, we can do that as well. But the idea is to mitigate all those risks. So originally we just started out doing food safety education and training, and then it evolved into operational excellence. Well, we wanna do these things, can you take us through this? And we would take them through it, but using the foundation and principles of HACCP. So practicing it, regardless of what is going on, whether it be front of the house design for theory, theory, uh, excuse me, theater, or if it's back of the house and then there's an extension of something else going on in other places. But the objective is to really make people turn into their own auditors, their own inspectors, to review their own operations rather than have somebody come in to tell them if it's pretty or not, if they like it, if it's right or wrong. We don't give a shit about that. Those are opinions. And in the world, of, in the reality of this space, I don't think there's a whole lot that hold a lot of weight. We just want the facts and the science. In that case, we show people how they can utilize what they're already doing and have somebody observe them to take that and turn it into an actual written, documented, structured SOP. And then we're fine tuning the operation. We're able to take things and hit the targets that we want. The specific measurable results become second nature for us. So the KPIs just grow through the roof. And, and real quick, I mean, I know that the uh, the listenership of this podcast is primarily, I would suggest hospitality professionals at all levels. Um, I, you know, I don't really know, like I, I, you know, who everybody is, but you're pretty much in the hospitality industry. If you listen to this podcast, I would assume, I don't know if you're not chime in on the comments and say, no, dude, I work in banks. I don't care. Uh, but just for those of you who don't know, HACCP, H-A-C-C-P, is Hazard Analysis and Critical Control Points. And it isn't just like, I think to what Trevor just alluded on, it really isn't just for the back of the house. It's really a methodology on how you run your business. And you could, I think you could use the principles of HACCP uh, to look at the security of your building, to look at fail points, uh, you know, in how you serve guests. Like it doesn't just have to be food safety. What it's really about is looking at your operations and figuring out where do I have potential problem areas and then putting in controls and tests and procedures to mitigate whatever that risk might be. Would you agree with that, Trevor? And Chef, both of you? Absolutely. But uh, I want, I'm going to pass off to Chef here to really chime in because he has a way with words. He's so much more poetic. I can be very uh, 
I, I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeff. Um, I'm sorry. Can you ask that question again, please? <laughs> no, I just yes. I, I, I had to almost pull out a BB gun. There was a, a possum walking across the yard. And I know that sounds country as shit because I'm down here in Charleston, South Carolina. But I was like, what is possums going to come out during the day, man? Well, and that means it's probably rabid, but you should still eat it. I just wrote it down. I need a, a pellet gun now. Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, no, I, mean, I was just saying that HACCP is, you know, primarily it, it is a, uh, people use it around food safety, obviously, but that it really is just a really interesting framework for looking at the risks in any part of your business and, uh, you know, determining what those risks are and then putting together plans and procedures to mitigate those risks and test, right? That's kind of a, so you can apply it to the front of the house as well, right? Is what I guess what my point was. Correct. So you know, what, what I learned a whole lot because I'm a very OCD clean uh, person, a chef, uh, and that's one of the first things we do whenever I go and I take over our revamp is break it completely down, clean it, and see what you can use, what you can't use. Uh, but with taking the course with Trevor, with the HACCP, as we were starting our adventure together, uh, and I learned so much because I personally would every place also write these huge um, Department of Health lists, right? Uh, from what you do daily, what you do when the health department comes in, what gets thrown away, what stays, because a lot of the health department uh, rules and are very archaic set up but you still have to follow them you still have to you know you want that a on the door and i welcome the health department to come in because i want them to teach me what i am not doing properly as long as they don't shut us down and give us a bad bad grade i really want to know as much as possible so we can comply and don't want to get anybody sick and also we we pride ourselves on that day we pride ourselves on some uh, the, the health department official coming in and saying um wow you guys you guys you guys are nailing it man so we do pride on that but with the class i learned so much on and with control point what we do is we also welcome and we want to be 12 steps ahead of the health department so with the HACCP uh safety program is that it is a you know once you learn it and once you get you know, once we come in and uh, explain and also teach and give the classes to people, it is ingrained in you. And you also have that um, fail safe of that list that, you know, your checks, the things that have to be done with a HACCP program to uh, ensure safety. And if something was to ever happen in front of house, back of house, you have something to go back to. You can trace it back from the, the very start to it hitting the plate or hit, going into a glass. So uh, it is, I think it's very, very, very um, thorough and also very, it keeps you in line on the straight and narrow all the time because you are doing your checks and balances every single day, every hour. Is that? Yeah. And let's talk food safety because 
And I this was I had another episode a couple maybe last week or the week before, and I was on to some guys that do IoT, right? And they, you know, they were kind of amazed, and and honestly, I was kind of amazed, and I'm curious how if you guys were kind of amazed too. But when you sell something to improve food safety, a lot of people in this industry look at you like, what the hell? No, we don't care about that, and it you you would not expect that, right? Like you just don't expect it because like you talk to people who are outside the industry and you go, oh, hey, I got food safety software. They would go, oh, my gosh. Or I have a food safety classes that I teach or I do food safety consulting. And you if you told someone who wasn't in the biz, right, not in the restaurant industry, I do that for a living. They'd be like, oh, my gosh, you must be uh, making hundreds of millions of dollars a year because everybody cares about it. And then you get into the industry and you realize very quickly a lot of people do not want to hear about it. Has that been your guys's? Uh, <laughs> has that been your experience? You cannot uh, believe that. You cannot believe how many are like. Once you start getting into the guts, you start getting into that nitty gritty with them. They're like, but 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 everybody in the restaurant business, and I've, I'm I am so guilty of it too. We all want something for free because your margins are so low, no matter what. So when we go in to start telling, uh, you know, nitty gritty with folks, say. Butcher shops are uh, uh, wanting to be uh, uh, food manufacturing facilities. And then when we break it down and we send out the proposal, we send out what we're going to actually cover, what you're going to get. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then they see the price. They're like, oh, I was like, well, hey, this is not a one and done. You're planning on your restaurant or your, your manufacturing facility or whatever you're doing that needs our wants HACCP slash USDA, FDA, then you're thinking of your place 10 years. You want, I mean, that's that's the goal always in uh, my business, in the restaurant business, is like you, you shoot that you're going to be open 10 years. Anything after 10 years is an institution. So when you do, when people don't think that way and then they see the nut on what our expertise costs, then they uh, they shake in the boots a little bit, and because they're not looking at it as a long term investment, and then they feel that they can do it on their own, and okay, cool. And then sixty days later, here comes the phone calls. We need it on the fly, and we're like, "Well, your fly money just got a lot more, buddy." So, <laughs> yeah, no, I do not. I know I do not think. It is respected in uh, the chef world, the restaurant world, because, of course, to be a chef or an owner of a restaurant, you got to have huge balls. I mean, because you got to have an ego, right? You have to, uh, because you're dealing with 10,000 problems a day. Um, no, I'm sorry, every 10 seconds. And so you really think that you can you can actually take it on yourself. And then a lot of times, especially with dealing with the HACCP or the food safety, that's where you get screwed. That's where you, you, you'll get shut down. Or you, I mean, the think about the revenue you're lost when you get shut down because you weren't following the right proper procedures that were laid out in front of you. Yeah. Trevor, you want to chime in there? I'm going to chime in to share with you that uh, in class, when, when we're doing these things, we're, we're putting people in the opportunity. This is way before last year. We were already using software to engage with people and teach HACCP and show you 
guess what? Bring anything forward. If you want some bootstrap budget option, be the student. Put in the work and dedicate the time. It's never that's the, the funny thing about food safety is it's never about the money, but that's always the excuse that everyone tries to give. It's about the time. Dedicate the time and stop making excuses for financial situations. Even if there was enough stimmy money for everybody to have for five years, there would still be a mess of problems. We have to be very honest with ourselves, take a step back and go, what truly do we want out of this? Are we really expecting this to happen at the snap of the fingers? Could we really get it done in six months? Okay, well, then what is it going to take? And I mean, set it up. You got four squares. What's the project? The one to the right of it, talk about your goals. Just below that, put your KPIs in there. For those who are not familiar with all these acronyms, your key performance indicators. And just to the left of that, we have the specific measurable results that we're going to do. Start out with something like that. We're taking practices from Edward Dimming, plan, do, check, act, Simple as that, and applying it to food using the HATSUP fundamental principles. In Europe, we just take everything and leave it in one set of numbers and call it Codex Alimentaris. We have 12 steps. Here, we've decided to make it a little bit more complicated and break it down into five preliminary steps, excuse me, and seven principles. Well, so, uh, not Oh God, sorry. It's very interesting when people come forward and running and they're like, my hair's not on fire yet, but when it is, we're really going to need to be ready. Yes, yes, it is. You know, how much of a, how, how involved do you want somebody like Control Point? We're here at every step of the way, or we can coach you from afar. It's really up to you. What is the time that you want dedicated? Because when we when we talk well, about guaranteeing times, we're going to be present. Yeah, and I mean, I think too, like, and I don't want to make this as an. In, it, this has been a very interesting. I, I'm bringing this up for selling into restaurants uh, and food manufacturers. Uh, food manufacturers, I don't. We don't do that as often today, but also they've got a lot more uh, regulatory scrutiny on them. They either have the USDA or the FDA on them. And they have a lot more sort of enforceable standards, right? But the way that the food safety system is set up in the United States of America is you have the FDA and the FDA puts out the food code. And the food code is a suggestion of how you should keep your restaurant clean. They don't actually enforce it anywhere. And I've actually read in the food code, and this if anybody who's not in the restaurant industry, well, this will make you cringe, but they don't enforce HACCP in the food in the restaurant industry because they believe it is too complicated for single unit operators to kind of grasp. So the guys that are the least trained generally and the least equipped and the least capitalized have uh, basically set the bar, the lowest bar possible when it comes to food safety, when those are the guys that really need the most help, right? Then each state takes the food code and goes, okay, well, we'll do this and that, but then they break it down at the county level, right? So that's how the food system works in this country. And then you have your local food and health inspector. And, you know, uh, Eric, who's my business partner, who's not on the call today, but he knows a guy in like uh, mini uh, Missouri where he lives. And he's like, yeah, that guy's like, you basically have to have like rats. Like you have to have rat ratatouille situation going on to get like shut down. 
Like you're going to get an A for pretty much anything, you know, if you're just there and, and it looked like you were kind of trying. Um, but okay. So that's one part of it, right? Like that's the part of it that purists like us look at and go, what the hell's going on here? But then I think there's this, also there's the reality, right? Which is that people are, I think people have gastro, dis, gast, gastro distress all the time. But you don't know if it's because it was food poisoning or there's just way too much butter in there or something that could have affected you. That's what most people's interaction with foodborne illness is. But the, the sheer amount of how much food we consume to the amount of like documented salmonella cases, yeah, it's pretty low. So I don't know. I, I kind of go back and forth on it. Uh, and I'm just opening the discussion, right? So let's all chime in on that. And, and you guys can say I'm an idiot and that would be fine too. <laughs> well, I, I suppose the camaraderie is here since we're all from the kitchens of some sort. Yeah. But um, what what we want to do is really to take anybody who is willing to commit the time, invest in them to give them the education and training so that they understand that food safety is actually an, an asset. It's a tool. It's not an expense. If we are already sure. being held to do something, let's let's use that to our advantage. We don't need to wait for other people to write the guidance for us. Let's do it for ourselves. We can work with the industry to say, excuse me, but what you are suggesting for whatever situation doesn't make sense for us and is not very cost effective. Here's what we've done in our little, call it white paper, case study that we've put together for ourselves. And it's actually different from the guidance that you're pushing very hard on people. Can we have a conversation? They're probably so busy right now pushing to get everyone um, vaccinated, but at least they understand that you're trying to make that effort to always do better. You know, it's kind of like the Toyota way, Kaizen, always going for better, yeah. better, better. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you have a program and plan in place, it's just practicing those principles of HACCP. It's not suggesting that everybody has to have a fucking plan in place. If it doesn't make sense for the operation, then don't do it. But make sure that you can actually have a justification or a decision-making document that helps you build that justification. We have a lot of people who are the third-party inspectors for restaurants or whatever. I think it's a waste of money. Well, what if somebody brings in control point? Great. We're going to have fun. We're going to make it fun. First place I'm going to go is probably to dish and see what I can do to make sure that the dish machine is even operating at the correct temperature, pressure, chemical use. By the way, if that dish machine has not been serviced and you are only supposed to push three mils of soap in, but you're dripping about 10 mils of soap, not even when a full load is going on, do the math. You're throwing money in the drain. There you go. Food safety is just another way to look at your business in multiple perspectives. And we'll go deep into chemicals and all these other things. But with all this increased use of hand washing and glove use, let's make sure it's actually being practiced appropriately. Put together the program in place that shows you have some sort of change every hour or maybe it's specific color of glove you have a purple for one section of the operation but they're not going to go handle food that is finished ready to eat or being plated boxed put in containers 
and then given to the guests, but then you're touching doors, refrigerators, other tools in the kitchen, like you're just causing cross-contamination. Guess what? 2018, that personal electronic device that you have to use while you're on that porcelain throne, stop. It's disgusting, and that's actually becoming the number one thing for cross-contamination, but gloves and face masks might be that next. So Agreed. wash your hands, Completely change your gloves agree. frequently, and let's break this down. Stop touching everything. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but these gloves are nothing. Excuse me. Gloves, face mask, hair nets are nothing new for us. We've been wearing them for a long time. Some of these facilities we walk into, you'd think we're going into surgery rooms. And what uh, we see often, as I see, uh, especially in our own restaurant, just because you have gloves on don't, doesn't mean you're like uh, Trevor was saying. I mean, because you'll wear it, the most will just have the gloves because it's it looks uh, sanitary, but they don't change the gloves the whole day. I mean, the whole time they're on the line. So that is also something that you have to beat into uh, your cooks, too. It's like, change your gloves, change your gloves, change your gloves. Because once you go to plate a dish or you're, you're dealing with any sort of raw to cook, which means putting a piece of fish in a pan and then putting it on a plate, you have to change your gloves. Change it, change it, change it. And that's... Um, because of the gloves and the face mask, you're right, Trevor. Um, we haven't even discussed that uh, recently, but that it, that that I do believe as well that that will probably lead to lead to a lot of cross contamination because you're just that's all you're doing. You're not changing anything whatsoever, and you're touching everything, especially your phone. Your phone is the most the dirtiest thing in the the planet. Yeah, no, it. No, it is like they, they right now they sell those charging boxes, you know, where you can have everybody lock their personal devices up in the kitchen. So people just aren't on their phone the whole time. It's super annoying. Um, like there's nothing worse than seeing a server or, you know, or an employee on a phone. And then you're like, where's my butter? Where's my soda? Where's my food? You know, and you're like, well, no one's paying attention to this. But like they really do need to have those boxes that they use for charging have uh, some sort of blue light on there. Some sort of, you know, um, not blue light, but you know, I'm talking about like the infrared thingy that like kills germs. They should be z nuking those phones while they sit in that case. Um, back in my, yeah, um, it's so back in back in my rougher days, my uh, not so nice days. Um, I've taken a phone or two and thrown it into the, the dishwasher because um, a server or someone was on the phone and the food needed to be ran or. The table wasn't getting their the experience that they deserve that they're paying for. So uh, it's not the nicest thing to yeah. do, but it made a point. Well, and I mean, you know, I, and yeah, we, we can go on that path for another <laughs> four hours. Exactly. Well, at least you cleaned it for them. And now with some of these phones, it'd probably be fine. How much rice I mean, did like you use for that phone, Chef? Oh, no, no, no. I didn't do anything yeah, with it. But that, that's before you could get sued for everything. Um, <laughs> Yeah. How much um, rice did we have to so, put yeah. towards that? Oh, yeah. It was a restaurant cost for sure. The, the rice. <laughs> but guess what? They didn't have, they didn't pull their phone out uh, uh, in the dining room or on the line ever again. I usually end up buying yeah, them a new no. phone. So, you know. But yeah, it's worth it. I mean, honestly, you got to get a new phone. So I suppose you, you two lessons there. 
Um, yeah, so going on, you guys are viewing food safety as this isn't like this big, like you're looking at it more as, hey guys, this is just, well, hey, it's a necessary part of your business. Like if you're in the restaurant business and, and yes, does it happen all the time that we're killing people? No, we're not killing a lot of people. And that's why I think a lot of people fall back on, you know, I've been in this business 30 years, I haven't killed anyone. But what we don't recognize is, you know, and, and so that's why, because I've always found it was very hard to sell off of food safety alone, because unless you're talking to a QA person whose job it is to do food safety, uh, everybody else is like, we're not killing that many people. Uh, so, you know, we're not killing anyone, really, right? Like, we've never killed anyone. So, you know, it, we get it. We're doing our best. But, you know, we're doing our best on a lot of things. And our big problem right now is labor. So that's the problem. That's the most immediate fire to put out. So your food safety fire is important. But when I have a fully staffed kitchen, then I'll focus on it. There's always kicking that can down the road is what I found. And I was constantly amazed by that. I guess that was the point I was trying to get at. That was one of my lines in, in New York City whenever I was I was going for the gold. You know, you got uh, moved in, back in the day before Food Network, uh, Internet, all of that. It was uh, if you're going to be one of the greats, you either go to New York City or Paris. Right. I mean, that was kind of the yep. uh, unwritten rule. So of course New York, and once being a chef and going for uh, all of the um, all of the gold, um, and then I would see cross contamination. I would see some uh, some serious donkey work going on. Uh, <laughs> I would be very stern with my talking and say, "Look, if we kill somebody, that means I got to go cook in Nebraska. So we're not killing anybody today. So hey." <laughs> Look what you're doing. Why are you doing that? You just touched this. Then you touched that. You're dragging chick raw chicken over lettuce. Uh, what is uh, that? But the, the line was, I don't want to cook in Nebraska. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, okay. Yeah. So, uh, yep, that's it. We're going to wrap up this part. Let's go on to, we're going to move on to the next question. Unless you had something to say, Trevor, did I cut you off? Uh, no, I, but I, I just, I will add something now that you gave me that opportunity to say, that's why we're putting this into education and training, because we want to give people multiple lenses to see things and invest in your fucking team. Everybody's like, yeah, we're opening back up the economy. How many operations were actually taking the time to educate and train their team? And don't give me some bullshit excuse about cost. Again, you have had the time. And there's so yeah. much content available at your fingertips through a phone, a computer, whatever. But we have put it out there many times. If you have questions, please bring them forward and ask. We're here for the long haul. And then they start jumping back to cost and we go, no, no, no. We're telling you that you have this opportunity right now. If you just answer your, or you ask the question, we will answer it for you. And spend that PPP money on, and that disaster relief money on actual in your restaurant, not buying yourself a Harley Davidson or building a new fucking deck on your house. Which Thank you for that, Chef. Has been seen a lot because... <laughs> Also, what we, what we bring to the table with Control Point is that we do make it fun. We do. It does come from um, 27 plus years it combined, 35 30 to 40 years combined, Trevor and I, to the table. And we see the nuances. And I we, we make it fun even training people on 
how to do these things, how to spot things, how to see the, the nuances that could cause uh, cross-contamination because it's more about the preventive. It's like uh, the movie uh, Searching for Bobby Fischer when he clears the, the, the chessboard, he goes, do you see it now? So you see, you're thinking 12 steps ahead after we go in and we give you an assessment and we give you the breakdown and we give you all of the proper um, info that you need because we're trained as you as well, Tommy, we're trained to see the nuances, the problems that could yeah. take the small things that turn into big problems, just the small things immediately, just like you would with a child. You're not spanking the child tomorrow after he did something today, right? Well, I guess you can't spank child children anymore, and you can't do all the <laughs> stuff that we used to be able to do back in the day, which, thank God. Um, but it is, we go in with that mindset, not in a... As uh, what we're uh, the thing that we're doing um, in Palms uh, over in Twenty Nine Palms is that you, you don't have an IT guy set up the uh, the food and beverage side. It's just because you don't know the nuance, you don't know the clicks, you don't know the sidebars and the tabs and what how the ticket reads in the kitchen. You just don't. That comes from people that are seasoned. And yes, we are trained. And trained, and trained, and trained in this craft for, for forever to where that's why when we go in, a problem doesn't look like a problem to us. Or if somebody says this issue, this issue, this issue, well, it's only an issue because it got to that point. We go in and we show you how to prevent, how to, um, how to, uh, uh, whatever the word I'm looking for, how to prevent it uh, before it happens. Sure. Risk mitigation. Yeah, anticipation. Yep. That's why me and Trevor work well because he, he uses the big words and I use the uh, I use the restaurant words. <laughs> Don't get too fancy. I might have a seizure, RL. You're making me laugh so hard. Tommy, take take the floor back and let us know what your next topic yeah. is. <laughs> sure. So uh, yeah, cool. We wrapped that up. The so let's go on to the next question. What is the big project or initiative that you guys are working on right now? Trevor, you got the floor. That's, this is going to be a fun one. Um, I'll tell you. The whole country. But, we have the whole country we're working on. <laughs> we're actually doing international work. We have somebody down in Brazil right now with family, but part of that trip was to take control point into central and South America. I'm very excited about that. And we already have more team members set up because when we go to some of these places, we're going to have to run with uh, more team members, but we can go into those details later. And that's really fascinating because we've actually now joined an advisory board for the national coalition for drug quality and security. This is very exciting because of what I'm living with in the adult epilepsy world. Now, because of that, they're being very they're, they're not being, they are very interested and active in cannabis and they have an accreditation operation that they're going to put forward and they want us to be a part of that. That's very fascinating and important because of the adult epilepsy and pharmaceuticals have failed me. This device in my chest doesn't really work. I pretend like it brings me Wi-Fi, but it really doesn't. And um, 
now cannabis and food, like food is medicine. I am practicing this. It's not something I'm using to get other people's attention. I'm putting it to work and treating this with that scientific mindset of there's a lot of opportunity here. I can figure out what works and what doesn't. And then I'm going to give that information to the researchers, the educators, Columbia University, where my neurologist is. And this is going to be helpful for other people. So now I'm fighting that a daily epilepsy, epilepsy life, but collecting all the data that I can for other people. And I'm using control point because of our activity in cannabis to also do education and training there. And it's everything that we do in food, we're doing for cannabis. And then we've partnered up with Wyatt Group Global Assurance, who knows agriculture very well, happens to be from Southern Missouri. Um, happen to be from Southern Kentucky. Chef RL's from South Carolina. There's more. It just goes on. Our partner Amy is in Dallas. She is a fucking badass. She really is a woman that you want to be following and know in this industry because she's very good with the knife too. Happens to be our actual meat scientist. But we have a lot, lots of things that we're doing and we're taking the education and training and people are going, can you just write these SOPs for us? And we go, of course we can, but we're going to stand next to you to take all the data that you currently have. Don't stress it. We're not going to tell you you have to put on paper yourself, but now you have become the stakeholder of this. You are a leader in this space that you're standing in right now. And they could be the dishwasher. They could be maintenance. They could be really part of any department, but what RL was saying in the beginning of this about interdepartmental, that's something that we're practicing in every space that we're working in. For the longest time, I never thought Control Point would be involved in pharmaceutical or cannabis, but we are very active in advising a lot of operations to take their products to market and be ahead of the curve where compliance is really not present. And then they can be the poster child for every state, or maybe they're just well, focusing on that one state that they're in. Well, and I would say too, just, and you had touched on this earlier and I wanted to tag on it a little bit if I could, is, and I think like the NRA did a nice job with Serve Safe, right? Like I think just training waiters and cooks, like the basics of food safety, sanitation, they, they did a nice job, but the, 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 the industry need, and this is true of all industries, if you don't want to be overly regulated by idiot politicians who are taking donations from your competitor to box you out of whatever you're trying to do, then it's, it's every industry should look at their manufacturing practices. And I think they, a lot of them do, but they should go further than whatever the government's uh, trying to do at whatever time it is. So the government starts saying, hey, we want to put like, we're going to double up the food inspections in, let's say, restaurants, right? Which they, they could barely get one done a year as it is. But let's say hypothetically they choose to do that, right? Then you go, okay, well, then we're going to take our standard three times further uh, so that you can keep the government off your back. So industry should always be leading the way for compliance perspective ahead of whatever the government can get to. Um, standards and we don't, of excellence. Not all industries do it. Yeah, they should not all industries do a good job of that, but that's where their heads should be at because they have the money and the resources 
and they can, um, I don't want to say necessarily like, I don't want them to like skirt it and do bad things because they have their own, like, you know, regs, but at the same time, they also understand where the cost is. And I think chef said that earlier, like, you know, don't make us do dumb things that are going to add all this additional cost when they don't actually add any real, uh, you know, value. So why not let's just figure it out ourselves. Right. And just do what's right for us and hold a higher standard than what's being asked for. You know, it, it built, you can market off that it's food safety as part of your business, right? It's pharmaceutical safety. It's cannabis safety. So it's all the same thing. That That's great to, to hear that you caught that too, about it being an opportunity for marketing. Tell it to the guests, yeah. the patrons, the patients, whoever your customer is, what really sets you apart? I'm, I, I do have, um, I am, when I catch the radio, Spotify, whatever advertisements about, you know, we're opening back up or all these things, I'm curious to see who will be the first operation in the United States, because I have caught it in India, where somebody says, you can come and see what we're doing. I think the open kitchen concept is funny, but do you really want people to be in that space or can you show them with your data what that story tells? Very simple. You don't need a marketing agency to come in and go, if you pay us a million dollars, we'll tell you about all these opportunities you have. Like, uh, I'm going to come in and wash the dishes with you and tell you about the all the opportunities you have. Put it to test. You don't like what you hear? Right in this moment, we'll play a game. We'll make it an exercise and we'll give you the proof. By the way, Trevor, that was a great corporate voice you just put on. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. Oh, that was awesome. Good. <laughs> well yeah. and it was funny oh god no i was just gonna say I, I got my inspiration from aaron j oster you know he's king of voices you ever want to hear christopher walken call aaron <laughs> um at the beginning of the pandemic one of the things that we tried to market off of was that you know we have dashboarding in our platform right that could pull uh, at a high level we could pull out data that you could literally be using so you could have your website, right? Or your app and you could be calling our platform and going and pulling back and say, Hey, we've done 700,000 food safety checks in our brand already today. And it's noon. Like that could be the kind of stuff that's scrolling across your app. Like that data exists, right? Uh, if you use platforms to capture it. And so that was one of the things I was like, if you want to like make people feel comfortable, you know, like it used to be like McDonald's, billions and billions of hamburgers sold, right? They stopped counting at some point. But like <laughs> I, I could see in the world where you're like, hey, we're doing like, because I've got a brand, I've got a several brands, uh, you know, I'll give them props, Qdoba. Qdoba was number one QSR the last two years in a row. Qdoba is a client of ours. Those guys are on it. If you are looking at a burrito chain and you're like, hey, I want to go get a good burrito, I would highly recommend you go to Qdoba because I know uh, for a fact that their food safety system is unimpeachable. I haven't seen anything like it in all of uh, my years doing this. I mean, these guys are crushing it. So, uh, but, great, you know, for awesome. guys like that, you, yeah, you, you could be like, Hey man, we're doing millions of these things a week across our 700 plus locations. So, wow. Good for you. Man. But I like the idea. I like, 
Yeah, I like the idea of advertising off the data show, you know, because you also mentioned this too. Third party inspectors, these auditors, just so everybody knows, they only come in once a quarter. And uh, they're the worst. They don't like, (laughs) yeah, they're the worst. Yeah, there you go. And what's funny about it is this they only come in once a quarter, but you have to look at incentives. Everything in the world is based on incentives, right? So ultimately, if they go in and fail every whatever you name it, X burger chain, if they go in and really stick the screws to them and, and call it like it really is, in a lot of those cases, they will lose their contract because the franchisees will flip out. So they, they got to walk the line, right? And so they kind of like, they have to know who's paying the bill. And the guy who's paying the bill is the corporate, the corporations paying for the initial round of inspections. Now in the big like taco and pizza chain, some of those guys, they will, if the guy fails the inspection, they'll make him pay for the second. But let me tell you something, that's great. But realistically, if that guy fails 12 in a row, you should shut him down. But at some point that guy's gonna start complaining so much or if everybody's failing every single inspection and they're having to pay for two, three or four inspections, they're gonna pitch such a fit to the corporate that they'll change the inspector model or they'll lower the standard. So it's kind yeah. of a BS thing. And, and on the, uh, the the restaurant side of it, uh, they would call the day. All right, we're coming in to do uh, this. Like, but what did you do last time? All the, I mean, a lot of them were, they're just trying to get their nut, you know, just make, uh, make those dollars. Yeah. And then when they come in and say, well, that right there and that right there. I was like, so what is that right there? What is that right there? What does yeah. that mean? What you just said to me? I don't understand what you just said. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why I say they're the worst because uh, they're usually has-beens. They're, they're like uh, the retirees that are driving Uber and uh, they just do it for fun. And then uh, so they can, the has-beens from the, uh, the, the health inspectors. And then they, they still feel like they have uh, – uh, like a security badge to where their their law is the law, but you're like maybe you forgot what you learned. Maybe you forgot what you were doing because what you're saying, you you said something different four months ago. What do you mean? It's like, well, look, you wrote this up, and then yeah. then up 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 because the chef is not paying the bill, the corporate is paying the bill, and then when you do actually say something about it to the corporate. Oh boy, here we go. Yeah, it it's a flawed. We have a flawed system. It is very antiquated, uh, and we have to really. I mean, we could sit down and posit the better way to do things. I have some ideas, as I'm sure you guys do as well. Uh, but like, it comes down to you know, it, and it really comes down to is the consistency. And this is also everyone's big gripe with the health inspectors too. Just give me a consistent standard, man. Like you guys all got to get on the same page. And I know it's hard because it's every different kind of restaurant. The standards have to be, but there are some hard and fast standards that we could all hold ourselves to. But you get one health inspector and his wife's cheating on him. And next thing you know, you got an F. Can't get re-inspected for six months. And you get another guy who comes in. And you, like, know, you, know, you, you know immediately if they come in grumpy, you're like, oh, man, here we go. Yeah. And then yeah. when the, the, then, the letter grade went into New York, um, oh, my God, what the, that was the biggest, uh, greatest uh, scam ever. It was like letter grade. They made $50 million more than they did the year before. And it was oh, yeah. all about points. And, 
Oh, you mean all I have to do is hire a lawyer? That's another fifteen hundred, and he goes and fights it. And oh, I get to keep my egg. It's like get the fuck out of here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got something for you there, which will also take us to a war story. This one's more of a comical one, but we do have to remember that these are people too. Can they be yeah. assholes? Yes. Who can't? But let's be the bigger and better people, industry, community. If we're really going to play that community card, let's stop talking about it and put actions towards it. But let's stick to the point. Their people ask questions. Can you, ver can you confirm this? Can you give me the statute? Why is it that this was not addressed before? And I'm just asking to inform the team, you know, questions. Cool. Well, we'll let you do your walkthrough and then let me finish these tickets on the line or whatever else I'm doing at this moment. And then I'll come and sit with you as you write your report. If that's okay. Cool. Thank you. Not to offer you anything, but if you do need it, you know, just let us know and you're going to be fine. Cool. I'll see you in yeah. 10. Well, and absolutely. Like, let's be honest. I, you, you don't spit in a government inspector's face because they have all the power. So you better be treating those guys right. There's Cisco actually published, they had three blogs that we, we published when we first got into this game, like 2015. This, we took their content and said, hey, you should really read this content. And we cited it. But like they had three really good blogs all around. How do you work with your health inspector? Uh, because at the end of the day, they hold all the power. And so, you know, you can sit there and be morally correct with a C or you could be kissing some booty and get an A, right? Uh, so, you know, I, I totally agree with that as well. But you're right. You got to question some of this stuff, get them to document it because you, you might need to go to City Hall and fight it as well. Um, okay. So we keep going on tangents. I wonder if all three of us are suffering from ADD. Anyway, <laughs> I know I am. Uh, uh, very, very so, much so. And also, when you get on the phone with somebody that actually knows what the fuck they're talking about, the next thing you know is like, yep, two hours, three hours later, here we go. <laughs> yeah, we might break this into two episodes. Uh, <laughs> next question. What is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? Hmm. I really like that question. And I'm really going to have a hard time answering that. Hmm. Go ahead, Trev. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for the hospitality, Chef. I'm glad to see that you still have it. No, I'm just kidding. I know you've always had it. Um, all right. What keeps me up at night? Hmm. You know, that that isn't a, a great question, but I used to be so tired that I would sleep on my way back to Brooklyn from Jersey. Um, I actually fell asleep at the wheel once and destroyed, uh, the car in front of me, like a instrument. And, you know, fortunately those people were not hurt, but man, that was a wake up call when I had to change my life because I was working over a hundred hours a week and it was not healthy for all I know, that could be what, what gave me epilepsy. But the point is I was so exhausted and there was always something burning, broken, leaking, whatever. But food safety has taught me to have this more of a meditative outlook on it. How always have a plan in place so I don't let stuff happen and then go, oh man, I'm just ruined. There's always a plan for something, but it's not because we're looking for the negativity ahead of schedule. It's just a 
we're starting to understand reality in a different way. Thing, what what can we truly control and what can we not control? So I, I've just been used to going to bed so exhausted that it's not hard for me to just pass out even on a train. Well, and I think that it's a different mindset. So like I remember when I went to hotel restaurant school in 92 and I remember the first, like the first, I thought of this story in another podcast episode, but you know, we're in the intro class and the Dean of the school was talking and he was talking about how, you know, it used to be in the restaurant business, 80 to hundred hours a week was the norm, but we're getting to a kinder, gentler time in the restaurant industry. And now we're like, you know, 60 hours, 60, 80 is the norm. And that was the big thing in 92, right? That, you know, people were recognizing that you were burning out these managers and that they had no quality of life. And so then they, your turnover was higher, right? But really what it comes down to, and I think this is actually, uh, this is what I sell my product off of, and this is what you sell your product off of as well, is do you want to be in a world where something is always broken and leaking and three guys no called no showed and uh and all the worst aspects of running a restaurant and we've all been there when you took over a new property where like every like the management had sucked and now everything's broken and you spend the next six months fighting fires hiring training and then constantly firing hiring training and it's miserable and that was the uh that was the world, uh, you know, that you you moved into. Or do you want to live in a world where there's some order and you work nine to five? You know, you work a regular hours and you work and do a regular life because you have systems in place: food safety, preventative maintenance. You take care of your employees, treat them like family, so that you can actually work. Yeah, you're working weird. You might work nights, uh, but you're actually just working, you know. And you're and you don't live in this psychopathic world where like it's just constant chaos and trevor raised his hand which i think is so funny just talk <laughs> <laughs> i just well I, I now i have two things to say because i i do not appreciate when people try to pitch that it's like we're family or, or something like that yeah. those that are very close that aren't blood relatives some of those people are our family to me but they also see how i can be the biggest asshole because when you're family and you're close to me then it's like if you catch me moody then you just want to turn around and walk the other way but be respectful of the people and yeah that, that's what i wanted to put on that there and i kind of lost sure. my other my, my, my other thought that i had in my mind and i believe it was something to the side of um, you know, what, what do I, I, I actually ha live this life where I don't remember where I've put my key, my key to my car. And I'm trying to go run on this trail. And I'm like, where the hell did I put my key? The car's unlocked. I drove here with the key. Otherwise I don't have it. But, uh, I thought that that was just a little bit funnier than stressful sleep, trying to sleep at night. Yeah. And, but I guess my point is, is like, we we're preaching a world right all of us in this on this call are preaching a world of predictability and process and accountability and control whether it's HACCP, whether it's ox analytica whether it's food safety whether it's just daily operations and just i guess my my point as we move off this question to all the operators out there that some of you that are living in that world of just constant fires and you're 100 hours a week and you can never be done is you can get yourself to a really good world but it's going to require process discipline 
and accountability and control with HACCP. It's going to require HACCP, analysis and control, and then putting processes in place. So you, you can get yourself to a good, happy place in your business, uh, but you just got, you got to go from seat of your pants to the boring guy with a checklist. But the boring guy with a checklist goes home and works 45 hours a week and the person who li- who thrives in chaos is there until four in the morning, I would suggest. Yeah, it's discipline and trust. Like if, if I'm putting somebody, if I'm helping to build a team, there's people that are going to be put in that position and we have to build trust together. I have to trust them that yeah. I know that they understood what the request was and how to do it. And I have to let them know that if something is not in spec, that's okay. Guess what? It's an opportunity to educate, learn, train, share this information with everyone and we will dominate. But trust them and it does not always have to be your Sue or exec Sue or everybody else to take the data. Get everyone to be a part of the process because they can be the creative entrepreneur mind that you need in order to have a better margin for that restaurant or manufacturing operation. I agree and, with that. And I will. I would say yeah, with that, I would like, since I've, I've built I've built teams um, since uh, my inception of uh, the the chef world, and uh, because of my leadership and uh, sternness, but also my compassion and never malicious, is that uh, I will take many of you, and always usually um, immigrants are the you know the uh, the downtrodden the uh, the the social outcasts the uh, the ones that didn't fit in, but you give them the opportunity. It's just like, I don't have a child, but um, I think I have 300 children because then they're all grown adults. Um, but you take them from, give them the opportunity, even if it's a dishwasher. Like well, one of my greatest would be that uh, West African um, as a dishwasher. Uh, uh, and now he is, was, I don't know if it's still open, but STK, he was the exec chef of STK from dishwasher to, uh, to be in the exec chef. And it starts with the no, 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 maybe, 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 yes, 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 kind of, um, uh, thought process. And I just got taught that by my girlfriend, who is a psychologist that, Hey, you were never told no in your life, huh? I was like, no, I wasn't. Uh, but. But it was, uh, she goes, you weren't told, uh, no enough in your life. I was like, yeah, well, you know, growing up in a bar, I mean, that's kind of how it works. But, um, it's what Trevor was touching on is that, um, it doesn't mean for control point and with HACCP or the food safety, it doesn't mean that they all, everyone needs to be certified or everyone needs to be, uh, you know, go through the classes, but, um, let give them the opportunity to make mistakes, fail, train them so they do know the next to what to do in those 10,000 problems every 10 seconds. And then eventually, and we call it thumb in the neck, you keep the thumb in the neck constantly, never forgetting what you said or what you've been training to that person, only train one or two things at that time until they get it, like Shake Shack, to believe... I know we touched on that earlier. Shake Shack, every single person that works at Shake Shack has to do every single job. And I watched them after I left uh, maybe McKittrick or Untamed, the one on uh, in Midtown. And I sat in the window. It was freezing. 
and I just watch how they did their 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 processes. You got the cashiers up standing on the restaurant equipment, um, cleaning the hoods, right? And for me, that means they got a gold star. They could not move forward in their stations until they got a gold star. I think everybody gets paid the same as well, which is awesome in that setting. But it's until you get a gold star on that station, then you can move to the next station. So that means you're not trying to train the whole restaurant. You're not trying to train the whole facility or the front house, back house, whatever it is, you're 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 investing in that person and giving them the opportunity to excel. And that means but you are doing baby step training instead of a flood of information. Well, everybody's going to forget because like you just said, we're all ADD. The world is ADD every five minutes. I mean you could, I mean, you can learn the whole world apparently on Netflix, but it's, it's for me, it, I, Trevor, what you were saying is, uh, that's the way I feel people should be trained. Give them small doses, but until they get it over and over and over, it's about repetition. Yeah. Well, and let's be honest, all three of us, right? I would suggest we're all mildly successful in the hospitality industry. But all three of us had a chef, because I started back in the house too. Uh, all of us had a chef that wanted to teach us what they knew. And one thing about the hospitality industry is it's hard work. It's not necessarily complicated work, but it's hard work. It's repetitive. There's a thousand little levers that have to be pulled, right? And one of the reasons why people get burned out in this business is because it is repetitive. It's about how do I make this steak the same exact way 10,000 times a week, right? Whatever it might be. And so touching on that, it is those micro bursts of training and it's incumbent if you want to lower turnover in your business to mm -hmm. distribute these tasks out to everybody in the restaurant and know that that dishwasher is just as capable as this other guy and picking up and doing that little thing and learning that new thing. And that can actually make your job interesting. And it absolutely makes you feel appreciated that your opinion and that your labor counts and that you're not just a dishwasher or you're not just chopping broccoli, you know, or whatever it might be in the back of the house and in the front of the house as well. And also it can make your job as a manager a lot easier because you got a lot of people you can distribute these tasks out. So I would suggest to those guys that are trying to be leaders in this business is invest in your people like that with these little things, uh, little tasks. And also you could make the case too with food safety that everybody's in charge of food safety because just like you said, hey, if the dishwasher's not set correctly, it's not rinsing correctly, not enough soap going in, not enough temperature, that that guy, you could be doing everything you need to do on the line you can be getting everybody sick on the plate. So, Agreed. you know, mm -hmm. Agreed. Thomas Keller said it best. So we, one of his, one of the best things. And of course we all respect Thomas Keller, like uh, to the, the utmost, but the best was like, once you get to that chef job, once you are running your restaurant, once you are owner is your job now is to provide tools. You, if you don't provide tools, the tools that, uh, that from dishwasher to chef cuisine, uh, the tool, the proper tools to do the job. We're not talking about equipment and spoons and whatnot. We're talking about the tools yeah. to do their job. You're not doing your job as a chef or a restaurateur or as a, 
food manufacturing facility or assist food safety. If we're not providing the tools, then we're not uh, doing our job. And because our job is no longer cutting onions, so that I'll use it as a chef reference, cutting onions or putting produce away, but I will still do that no matter what, because then I'm going to teach you that this is the proper way to do it. But I'm only going to teach you that once or twice. Oh, we do it at two o'clock in the morning. I teach you until five, and you have to clock out. But that was the old days, of course. Um, but it is the micro. I think the micro teaching, like the start with small teachings of food safety, depending on the department that you're in, the station that you're in, is very important because we're also dealing with people that get in the restaurant business. Not so much, not as much now. Because of everybody, like we're so popular, the chefs are yeah, we're rock star, we're uh, we're uh, celebrities. But I remember the day when oh, we're manual laborers. We're digging ditches inside instead of outside. Yeah. And so once you get to that stage, and hopefully you've had a mentor that could not only teach you a dish or but actually explain why you're cleaning the station this way or why you do the FIFO or why all of these things matter because in the end it's fucking all trickles down and it all falls on the chef no matter what. That's why your name is the chef. You're the chief. You're the boss. You're the you're the number one. So if it's about delegation and it's about for me it's micro uh teaching, micro information. That's why for me if a cook comes over to me when I'm a chef says, Hey chef uh, you know where the butter is? I was like, motherfucker, you know you got seven people in front of you before you even talk to me? Because I have my own things to do. Right? That was a nice contra. That was like a point counterpoint all offered by RL. You got to micro-train people. You don't talk to me about butter. Come on, man. Well, because I've already trained other people to do that job. Yeah, I know. It's funny. <laughs> uh, it, I, I got clickbait for you now because I'll tell you a war story that was perfect timing. Uh, Chef RL and I are in Martha's Vineyard and we are observing. Now, by this time, I've spent thousands and thousands of hours behind a knife, but on, on product that was going around the world. And somebody is needing some help butchering the, uh, the foot. Because they're taking the foot apart to, gosh, what were, I think we were going to actually take them apart to just go through some of the anatomy of it. And we were also doing it because we had more time, but they were needing some help. And I put the knife into my palm and I go out back and RL comes to tape me up and I'm, we're sitting, I think I'm sitting on a crate or he's sitting on a crate. I'm smoking a cigarette and somebody starts photographing us. It looks like we're about to go box. <laughs> like he's getting me ready for <laughs> some cage match. But I thought it was so funny. And I still have like these scars in my hand. And when it gets really cold or I'm in a refrigerator, I know exactly what every one of them is from every single time. And I thought that was kind of somewhat of a funnier war story because we could go either which way you want <laughs> after this. Oh, yeah. No. I have so uh, many. I, I think I probably gave you some exclusive stuff. You know, I cussed that. I was like, "What? What? The, what? What? What the fuck were you thinking? I mean, what? Why?" 
I mean, is it because we drank a bottle of Jack, a whole bottle of Jack Daniels every single night when we got done doing what we did? Is, I mean, can you handle this shit? It was Maker's Mark. Uh, <laughs> we got some. We we had a great time, and there was yes, a lot of coffee and a lot of booze, but we were working. We were working. Yeah, there was, well, that's what. part of the joy of the restaurant industry is that you work your butt off. Actually, this is really funny. So. This is a true story. My son, uh, he he's like 10, and he ate this big chocolate dessert last night. We had this really nice new little gelato company in our area, and they make very beautiful desserts. And so he ate this chocolate thing, and I, he's very much like me, and that if I eat chocolate after like 6 o'clock, I'll be up to like 2. So he was up to like 1 a.m. last night, and he was trying to get out of going to school today, right? And I'm like, so when you're in the restaurant business – you know, you go out after work and you get and you go out and you have a really good time with your friends after work. I didn't say get drunk, but you go out. But part of the rule is if you're opening the next morning, you got to show up and do your shift no matter how tore up you got, because you're just going to screw somebody else over if you don't. And that's the rule. And I literally had that conversation with him this morning about why he had to go to school. I go, you're just going to have to work tired today and go to bed early tonight. But you got to go to your shift. You shouldn't eat that chocolate dessert if you didn't know, you know, that you were going to be up late. Because he knows chocolate affects him. And so I just thought that was a that's a perfect real world story for everyone in the restaurant industry who knows, you know, I mean, how many people have been like literally cooking and then like run to the bathroom, you know, or waiting <laughs> tables, take care of whatever they're going to get out of them, wipe their face off, wash your hands and get back out there and keep going. Because Frank, that's, frankly, that's the game. Frankly used to say always. He would say it so many times because he would actually sit with us. Um, we'd stay there and listen to stories three, four, five in the morning. And back when, um, like smoking cigarettes under the hood, I, believe, yeah. I mean, he's gonna hate that I just said that, but he didn't smoke at all. But still, he had. Yeah. We stayed there two, three, four, five in the morning pulling. Pulling, pulling shot, uh, you know, the silver bullet shots of uh, Jim Beam because that was the cooking bourbon at the time. But we had made sure that we always had a there was always a case of the Jim Beam because, yep, we were making a lot of reduction. Um, yeah, and he would uh, always say the next day. And man, did he have that sense that he could tell. He goes, if Kate pull you aside, he goes, if you can't go out the night before and come in the next day and do a superlative job, then you don't fucking go out. But yes, chef. <laughs> yeah. Those are beautiful words. Yeah, that's yeah, that should be a t-shirt. You should get it, you should make that into a t-shirt. So that. <laughs> oh, don't tempt him. <laughs> don't don't tempt chef. We're gonna have a lot of swag real soon. Yeah. <laughs> we got a ton of okay, so we only have, we, we're actually going way over here. So we got to move. We're going to go fast. So what is one thing that you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? So just chime in if you got something. I, I'm not sure that I caught, caught it all. Now I'm going to oh, ask here. if you would repeat it one more time. Sure. What is one thing you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Ooh, one thing I thought it was going to be doing that it isn't. Right. Um. I don't know. There's there's so many different industries for me. I'm I'm thinking across all of them. It's hard to say, but we'll start with we'll keep it in restaurants at this time being. 
I'm actually surprised that there aren't more operations going to say, hey, let's gather, like rally the troops. We got to go over a few things. What we fucking once did now may have changed. So does everybody know? Let's go just get together with the people that are still a part of the team or the people that are going to be returning as a part of the team. And let's test this on them to see who the new hires are going to be and how they take it. I'm really surprised that that's not happening if these floodgates are opening and the economy is about to just go full wonky. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, you got anything? Yeah, I sure do. Um, I'm sure you know now. I sure have a lot to say. Um, I feel that um, the industry itself is we sh- the industry we there should be biggest bigger lobbyists bigger uh, lawyers bigger um, um, uh, people representing our industry because of the pandemic and how many of my friends and peers have yeah. had to close their restaurants and yes and the government until what said recently that they're going to be doing the the help with the uh you know the restaurant industry i mean look at new york thousand people a day in the heyday of pandemic were moving out of new york city because why what's new york restaurants theater nightlife uh uh, uh how do you get there the you know the taxi cabs uh yeah. the, you know the the public transit that that the, the the transit and i don't think that um we as a restaurant industry, even though I know there are people doing it, it was we didn't do enough. And I say we because I didn't do shit, you know. And and <laughs> and, and, and in hindsight, it's uh, again I always preach about it's my duty and uh, you know to uh, uh, represent and re- you know represent the people that always get taken advantage of. But at a at this larger scale, to see. Folks like me, I mean, I've had to drive Uber, you know, I've had to you know, do things just, you know, the hustle is the hustle. And so many people like myself with press, with TV shows, with this, they're doing the same. They're loading trucks because they got to make ends meet. And I feel that what a lot of people, they took this PPP thing where they were getting 400,000, 500,000, uh, two millions and millions, but not actually putting it to like thinking about the future of our business of the industry it was more about of course everybody is selfish everybody thinks about themselves uh everybody is uh you know uh the fight or flight kind of thing but i feel that as a whole the industry itself we did not all come together as a whole and i'm well i'm small time we're small time but as a whole to say well Obama did the the bailout with the banks. What about the bailout for the restaurant industry, the hospitality industry, the food manufacturing industry? I mean, everybody lost huge. And we definitely took it harder than a lot of people. Us in movie theaters and venues. I mean, any place where people got together. And then you think about the tourism industry. Yes, Charleston is an anomaly. A complete anomaly. So many people moved here, coming here with bags of cash, not even looking at the house and buying property here. And then also, say, Nashville, say, uh, Austin, uh, you know, the, the, the southern states because of schools and uh, the lack of laxer laws. And so that means tourism industry in New York, dead. 
no theaters, no museums, no uh, the like the monuments, whatever, right? And then, um, so that means the the tax cab business gone, dead. I mean, people are like, yeah, the medallion went down uh, by ninety percent, eighty percent since Uber, but still, people that were making a thousand dollars a day driving, yes, twelve hours, whatever it was, they're making one hundred and fifty dollars. I mean, it's like. All of that ties into the restaurant business, uh, the restaurant industry, the hospitality uh, industry, the, like you said, the theater. It's um, the sports, like all sporting events. So where is thinking about the bottom tier? The, not the bottom, but the tier that actually the support staff to get you to what you want to enjoy. So that does yeah. keep me up at night. Cool. Well, that's well said. Okay, we're here to war story time. So I'm going to let each of you give us a war story. Uh, and this can be funny. It can be cringeworthy. It can be uh, just something you can't believe you got through. I worked 48 hours straight serving the Navy, whatever it might be. I just want a great story. Well, we'll go chef first this time, and then we'll go to Trevor. First one to pass the mind because it's probably the most recent, but... Again, I've been doing this 27 years, so uh, there is uh, a, this. This could be a podcast on the known, and it could go on for six months straight. Um, <laughs> is first day on a job, um, upper side of Manhattan, um, and I was there to observe. Um, already signed on, and as I was observing, this very, very, very. Uh, uh, popular and busy restaurant. It was two o'clock in the afternoon, and um, I refused to go inside of the kitchen because it was an open kitchen. But I refused because, uh, oh my God, it was like Baghdad after we attacked. Kind of, I mean, it was shambles and shambles and shambles. Um, but and I could not believe the amount of water that was on the floor from flooding, from the actual plumbing, from the grease traps never being cleaned, the um, uh, broaster fried chicken things that didn't work, and uh, the, the the amount of grease that was on the floor, um, and the grown-up, and I mean this, the grown-up, if you ever seen a crack baby grown, you know what it looks like. It looks like Spy versus Spy from Mad Magazine, right? They got the long nose, they got the long chin, they got the sunken eyes. We were supporting the community. Um, and as I was sitting there observing from the other side of the, uh, you know, the pass and the, the, the uh, dining side, um, almost like Santa leading his sleigh with the first three reindeer, three giant fucking rats together, like they were a fucking gang, ran across the fucking dining room. Like, oh. like they, I mean, they own shit. I was like, um, I just watched in ama uh, amusement, amazement, and shocked. And it was my first day that I was going to start as the executive chef. And then they knew exactly where they were running to. Like, I mean, it was routine. And then when I had mentioned that to the higher ups that were there, they were watching me observe. Um, like, yeah, yeah, that happens. I was like, what? <laughs> that happens? It's like, um, yeah, I got to go. I got to I got something else I got to check on. And I was like, yeah, I was just here to observe. 
the amount of emails and phone calls I got for the rest of the day on making sure that I wasn't going to say, fuck it, I am not fucking doing this job, uh, was amazing. And they bumped the salary, da 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 I was like, but <laughs> then I was like, all right. Then getting into the place, I'm like, I mean, I think it sounds baby, baby nests of these things growing, like almost like a matrix kind of shit. Got in there, me and my my team got in there, started doing the scrub, the cleanup. I mean, use condoms under the lockers and piss in the fucking corners of the locker rooms. I'm like, empty liquor bottles and crack bottles. It's like, what the fuck is going on here? I mean, I feel that I can go ghetto as a motherfucker to multi-million dollar deals, but I was dealing with a whole different breed then. Okay, you win. That's a good one. Trevor, you're going to have a hard time beating that, but let's go. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know that uh, this is anything of a competition, but uh, oh, it is. It. Uh, I'll, I'll have to go a little slow because I need to be sure that I don't slip in something that I shouldn't be sharing. This project started. Tell it like like fucking intense, and if you slip in it, it is the greatest fucking movie that will ever be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, well i th this is before i was ever diagnosed with epilepsy so think about that when i tell you where i was driving the forklift all right all right so yeah. we're doing a project and somebody with a national food distribution company comes forward and says we want you to make this burger for us at this point we're the the burgers in the tri-state area were made from these people. And there were uh, there was other competition, but it seemed like we had the market the entire time. Well, they came forward and said, we want this and it has to be this and it needs to be it about this fast, but make sure that the suppliers of the base are Creekstone. Like, all right, cool, Creekstone. We got a great relationship with them. Don Morrow is my actual international HASP Alliance instructor. And some of the st the other stories that you can hear later uh, come from him. But the point is, we're doing this project, we, and they say it has to be this much per pound. We go, oh, my gosh, there's no way. Uh, you might as well just go down the street and ask anybody. I think there's a, a BJ's, a Costco, but you got several choices. Just go pick up your beef there. Wow want stuff for free. How funny. Something Chef RL said before. But we go through all these things and they keep coming back. I'm like, all right, we're going to have to work this out. And now it becomes my responsibility to do the label checks, the box checks, build the pallets. And I had no idea what high tie was at the time. And now I know when putting products on the market where I'm going to start and who I'm bringing in. We had shelf life already going for other reasons, and we knew that we could have a fresh hamburger beef patty with a shelf life of what they were looking for, but we had to take into account everybody else that was going to touch that product before it hit the restaurants. So we came to a conclusion, everybody's in agreement, and we're still just planning and planning and planning and planning. All this while the operation is still servicing all the tri-state area, 
And uh, to our benefit, we had copies of everything. Everybody signed off that we're ready to move forward. Now we're going to do on a day that we're generally closed, we're going to put out about 10 pallets of samples, individually hand-labeled, wrapped on pallets, ready to be picked up and shipped all across the United States. Now, I'm planning ahead, I'm planning ahead, and I have a farm who's bringing back this Caja China that we made. Fabricated, it's about seven and a half feet deep, or excuse me, wide, not deep, only about four and a half feet deep, but it's all steel and we would roast whole steers in it for events like uh, Metopia. And um, I think that's when Chef RL and I first met when he was up there for an event on the one of the piers in Brooklyn. And it was one of the hottest days in New York City. So hot that I turned into a so red lobster. Fucking hot. It was so hot. And we, I did charcuterie, and then I came over to, uh, to what you were cooking a whole steer. As, yeah, uh, I said never again. Nope, not at all. And then somebody had the bright idea to give my friend mushrooms, and he was flying with pig ears on his head and uh, a tarp behind him, a tarp like he thought it was a cape. And then came over to meet Trevor, and Trevor was like, "What was that, man?" What's going on? <laughs> it was so hot. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, Trevor. No, no, that was good. It, uh, you know, just make sure now everybody's recaptivated to what you know the the main event is. So we have this Caja China getting it off of a flatbed truck, and I'm driving this forklift. But I see this gentleman run around the corner. Now, this is the day that we're supposed to have everything ready to go. And I have a very specific time when trucks are hitting my docks. I got to get this stuff out. By this time, I'm already probably working on, on four hours of sleep and I'm going into my 20th hour. And I take it off and this guy runs around the corner and he's the box guy that I talked to before. He put the correct artwork on the wrong size box, and I'm just livid. I got overtime people coming in. I got my grill set up to feed them because they're going to have to work some serious hours. We're already going to be behind schedule because we're supposed to launch in an hour. And this huge, I don't know, it's probably got to be 6,000-pound box, and I just throw it to the ground, just drop it, boom. And this guy goes, oh. Hey, man, I just wanted to let you know that this is what happened. And I stopped. I got off. I threw that thing in park. And I said, if you know what is going on, why are you wasting my time? Get out of here and just go fix it. But I was probably as red as I was supposed to be representing a fucking lobster from being sunburnt. But I was furious. I'm pretty sure that through those concrete walls most of the building could hear me at that point and instead of having this fucking pity party i still had everybody come in i fed them just as i was and the boxes were late so we just restructured the day put everything out did everything we were supposed to do and we got it done we were still able to hit those marks the trucks are going to be there and they're going to pick this up. I was dead. 
I, I was driven home back to Brooklyn and I th I'm pretty sure I was falling asleep while sharing war stories there and uh, it was okay. But that team that showed up and trusted in me to take care of them for the work that we needed to do for this client and this huge contract that we finally won, it was incredible. But I was like, hey, if you're going to waste my time, just please get out of here. Come on, man. And to this day, I still have all those contacts <laughs> in my phone, but they, I know who to rely on and who to bring forward in these projects. And the only reason that day happened to be successful was because of the team that was in place. I could never have thanked the team enough or cooked enough for them, but family meal was never any different. We still had it. And it wasn't a uh, family meal that gave me food poisoning. Another story, another time. It was burgers that we were already making anyways. That's all she wrote. Uh, that was, I'm sure, a very stressful day, for sure. With the fucking heat and everything else. I mean, Jesus. Well, not not both the same days, but around the same time of when all these events are going on. You got Metopia, then you got a farm in Pennsylvania that needs the unit. This project's taking a year. The shelf life study, like, there's tons of moving parts. And the fact that the simplest thing that was approved three times was still not right. And when those box boxes dropped on the dock, I had some weird spider sense. I need to go check something. I just don't feel right about this. And I'm not sure why. There was no way to put blame on anybody or just go and fix it. This is what needs to be done. Oh, well, we're going to be shutting down. And it's like, I don't really care what your excuse is. Go or you're going to have to explain that the samples they're paying for or not paying for whatever the agreement is are not going to be prepared. What are you going to come and hand label these yourself? <laughs> you got 10 pallets. Each pallet is 2,250 pounds. So we just made shit happen, but it was one of those, man, I think my life is going to end right now because someone's going to kill me. And instead of, coming up with BS excuses. We just put stuff down and went to work. It was a uh, That's, that's war. the restaurant industry, right? Like it is. That's why there are war stories. Exactly. Cause that's what the restaurant industry is. It's just a battle every single day. Uh, hey guys, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. Chef Trevor. It was great uh, hanging out with you guys. Probably going to end up breaking this into two episodes just because it's two hours long. And uh, <laughs> Gracias we'll, for we'll go us. from there. And I'll put a link on to Control Point. And uh, if you want to you want to plug anything else, uh, Chef, your other consulting company, uh, you know, get that stuff to me and I'll get that on the show notes as well. Uh, but guys, it was truly a pleasure to be on the show with you today. And thanks for stopping by. Uh, thanks for no having problems. us that, that's uh, it's been amazing um great great questions great uh great flow for sure oh we'll appreciate it i'm an expert i'm really good at this anyway <laughs> i'm just kidding uh, <laughs> hey, and, hey hold on hold on an expert of what <laughs> yeah well there are a lot of things uh, we'll see you guys chocolate uh, all right man
Ciao, ciao. Thank you.